Okay, let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, fill our hearts, fill us with your love, and your joy, and your peace. Fill this room. Guide this class, help us to understand the, the beauty of Mary and her place in our life. And to trust ourselves to her in our thoughts and in our devotions so that she might lead us all the more easily to her son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So, uh, tonight's all about Mary, which I'm really excited about. I'm just excited to be back, back here with you all. Uh, I'll try to time it so that at or close to 6.30 will be around the break time. So, if you do want to leave to go to Mass, um, at least we'll get through the, uh, the different things we believe about Mary. And then after the break, we'll come back and talk about um, devotions to Mary. And with the devotions will be apparitions like Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of Fatima. You guys probably heard of, heard of them. Uh, prayers to Mary, what those are about. And then also the scapular and the miraculous medal. So different ways that we as Catholics practice our devotion to Mary. And then at the end, we'll close with a couple points about Advent because we're in the Advent season. Does that sound good? All right, I'm going to try something new. Uh, so I'm going to, after the breaking point, breaking point, after the break, and then we come back. You guys will get into uh, small groups and discuss questions if you're still around. So let me show you what those questions are. So, so you can have it in the back of your mind and you can kind of think about it as we're going through material. One thing that stood out to you and why, so that's pretty straightforward. But then the, the other one is a little more challenging. Uh, one specific way in which these beliefs about Mary might affect how one lives. So you don't have to get personal uh, about yourself. It can be a generic somebody, how they might live. And it can be as simple as like, oh, he might or she might pray the rosary or um, practice devotion to Mary. Or it can be, um, I don't know, something more creative. I guess, and then how it affects one, the way one looks at the world. So everything we believe about Christians, oh, Christ is doing this all the time. If you read through the Gospels, he takes the way people look at the world and he flips it upside down. Uh, one example of my favorite is in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, James and John come to Jesus and say, can you give us the seats that you right and your left in the kingdom? So they want places of honor to rule. And Jesus says, uh, those you think rule over the Gentiles, they rule by like lording it over the people over them. But the key word there is those you think rule. So the, it's like, oh, we're not even, we're not even seeing ruling the, the way that God sees it. So he's always flipping it upside down. So I wanted to challenge you all to think about that with Mary. In what way might our beliefs about Mary kind of flip the way uh, we look at the world. It can be as simple as the way we consider the dignity of women or mothers, or it can be um, 
something else. So things to think about. All right. So I wanted to start with a story. Uh, Blessed Pierre Giorgio Fazzati. Anybody heard of Blessed Pierre Giorgio Fazzati? Sweet. I don't like telling stories when everybody like already knows them. So Pierre Giorgio Fazzati, he was a, a Italian kid. He was born right at the turn of the 20th century. And uh, he was born into a kind of a divided family. His dad uh, was Catholic, but had fallen away, uh, wasn't very religious. His mom was Catholic, and he was really close to his sister. And growing up, he, he just had a really loud personality. Uh, he um, would sing really loud in church, but he couldn't sing very well. He was always off key. And people would turn to him and say, Pier Giorgio, would you please be quiet? You sound awful. And Pier Giorgio would just say, well, this is the voice God gave to me, so I'm giving it back. And uh, he would, he liked to rock climb. Uh, he would play pranks on his friends uh, and make bets with them that he knew he would win. And then if his friends lost, they would have to go to adoration with him. He would go to mass every day, uh, or at least most days that he could. Uh, and this was in the time when the rule for fasting before receiving communion was different. So now uh, you just have to not eat one hour before receiving communion. But in Pier Giorgio's day, it was you can't eat from midnight the night before until you receive communion. So this is why a lot of people go to early mass. Uh, Pier Giorgio would often go to evening mass, which would mean he would have to not eat all day. And he'd be like one of the two people going up for communion because everybody else had, had eaten during the day. So this is how devoted Pier Giorgio was to the Eucharist. Uh, he was also really devoted to his friends. And uh, he fell in love once uh, with, a, with a girl in his group of friends. And he didn't tell any, like, he didn't pursue her. He didn't tell his parents about her uh, because his parents were having marital issues and he knew they wouldn't approve of her and he wrote to his friend saying it doesn't feel right to ruin one family in order to start another which i mean you can debate whether that was the right choice but at least it shows the extent to which he would go for his family uh one thing i really love about him though and that he's most remembered for is his love for the poor uh, when he was a kid, one time he was walking home in the middle of winter and he had this brand new jacket that his family had given him, but he passed a poor person on the street. So he just immediately took off the jacket, gave it to the poor person and walked home. And by the time he got home, he was blue and his parents were all mad, but he didn't explain to them that he was helping out a poor person. He just took the punishment. He, his dad was wealthy and he would buy him first class tickets on trains and Pier Giorgio would sell them and buy third class tickets and then give the leftover money to the poor. And his friends would ask him, why do you ride third class? And he would say, because there isn't a fourth class. So he was always, he always had an, had an eye out for the poor. He, he would visit them uh, in their homes and pay for their food, pay for their medicine. He had a list of all the people that he was taking care of in their medicines. This is how he contracted the illness that he would die of. And he died very quickly. It was like a period of eight days. And um, he didn't tell anybody he was sick. Kind of noticed a pattern with him. 
his family didn't know about him taking care of the poor. Or they didn't know that he got sick. They didn't know about his love. Uh, but he didn't tell anybody that he got sick because they were all concerned about the grandmother who was staying upstairs because she was dying. And so he didn't want to take attention away from his grandmother and give it to him. And so um, his mom thought he was just lazy and slacking because she would just stay in bed. But he just took he just took it. And at night, every night while he could, he would get out of bed, go down down the hallway and, and, and kneel next to his grandmother's bed and pray a rosary for her and then go back to bed. But then his legs stopped working. Uh, and so he would roll out of bed and army crawl down the hallway and pray a rosary next to next to her bed. And he kept doing this until his arm stopped working. And of course, by this point, everybody knew that he was sick, but there was nothing that they could do. And uh, the last thing he did before he died was to make sure that somebody was going to take care of the poor people that were counting on him. When he died, some had a three, four thousand people showed up to his funeral. And you can see pictures of this. There's like the streets are packed with mostly poor people uh, who Pier Giorgio had made an impact on their lives. And they came to this funeral and the, his mom and his dad coming out of the church, they see this huge crowd and they and the dad said, we didn't know our son. And then this sparked a conversion in his dad and he ended up coming back to the faith because of the example of pure Giorgio. What stands out to me, um, in addition to that, is just the general character of Pier Giorgio and the clear message his story sends that that holiness is actually possible, that you can actually live a life like pure Giorgio, a life that even suffering and dying can't, can't rob you of that joy that you have in Christ. And I want to propose to you that this is the, the whole point about Mary, is that when we look at Mary and the things that we believe about Mary, it sends a clear message that Jesus actually accomplished something on the cross and what we believe about Mary can be true in a in a different sense but in a real sense for us. So the main main thing I want you to get out of tonight <clears throat> is that Mary brings us to Jesus and everything we believe about Jesus I'm sorry in everything we believe about Mary and in everything in every devotion we have to Mary it's all about Mary bringing us to Jesus. All right. All right. Shall we dive in? So we believe five main things about Mary, not all of equal importance. The first four are the most most important ones. And then the fifth one is less um, less central, but still important. So the first one is that Mary is ever virgin. So the basic gist of this is that Mary was a virgin before, during and after the birth of Jesus. So um pretty straightforward what this teaches us about jesus and why the church defended this about mary from the very beginning is because of the church's beliefs about jesus the virginity of mary as proclaimed in the gospels as she was a virgin uh it points to jesus being both human and divine she had, he had a human mother so human but a divine father so divine so that's why uh, 
the church took this teaching very seriously. The second thing um, about this teaching is that Jesus is the firstborn of many brothers. We see this in Scripture in the New Testament. We're brothers of Christ. And um, like, not in the same way, but in a similar way, God will raise up children like he raised up Jesus in a virginal manner. So just a, another way to put it is just as Jesus was conceived in a miraculous way, God will conceive us in our, in our adopted sonship um, in a miraculous way. It's like an icon of what God will do for us. All right, so that's the first one. Second one, Mary is the mother of God. Ah, so this is big. I have a question. When Jesus died on the cross, did God die or did a man die? When Jesus was born, was God born or was a man born? All right. So as you're wrestling with this question in your mind, this is, these are the same questions that the early church was wrestling with. What do we say about Jesus? What do we say specifically about his birth and about his death, but also about all the other kind of scandalous things in his life? Like when Jesus didn't know something, did God not know it or did just a man not know it? Or when Jesus wept, did God weep? Or, you, you get the point. When Jesus worked a miracle, did a man work a miracle or did God work a miracle? So these are the questions that the church was working out. A guy named Nestorius came along and he, um, he really wanted to defend God. That God can't change, that God can't undergo corruption, et cetera, et cetera. So how he parsed this out was saying, okay, in Jesus, you have a man a real man, Jesus, but then you have the son who's God. So these two are not separate, but they're two really distinct persons who are united and working together. So because Jesus, the man, so united his will to the son, they're, they're pretty close. But when Jesus died on the cross, it was just the man who died. When Jesus worked a miracle, it was just the son who worked the miracle. When Jesus was born, it was just the man who was born. Sounds pretty, pretty reasonable, but it raises a big issue. If it was just a man who died on the cross, how were we saved? Ah, ah, so the church took a vested interest in this. And uh, a guy, a bishop named Cyril, uh, he kind of spearheaded this and said, no, we can't say that. Uh, when when Jesus died on the cross, God died on the cross. If we don't say God died on the cross, then we're not saved. And it contradicts a lot of statements in scripture where Jesus claims to be God. All right. Now, related to this and wrapped up in this whole discussion is how do we speak of Mary? Is she the mother of Jesus, the man, or is she the mother of God? Well, the church ended up siding with Cyril and saying, no, there's not two distinct persons united in will, but rather two distinct natures united in one person. 
So whatever we say about the one person, um, uh, lost my train of thought there. So if we say Jesus died, that applies to the person, the person who is both a man and God, both human and divine. Uh, so if we say Jesus was born, we can also say God was born. All right. And so if Mary is the mother of Jesus, Mary is the mother of. Yeah. So you notice this whole teaching is not focused on Mary. This whole teaching is focused on Jesus. That's why the church took it so seriously. All right. Cool. Next one. Oh, Theotokos is just the title in Greek. You might hear that word put, uh, thrown out, especially by our Orthodox brothers and sisters. They love the title Theotokos. So I just thought you might want to know. All right, three and four, I clumped together because they kind of defend the same things about Mary. Two separate teachings, though. So the first one is the Immaculate Conception. The feast of today, well, tomorrow, starts today, though. And the, and the uh, Assumption of Mary. So the first one, the Immaculate Conception, is that Jesus was conceived without sin in Mary's womb. No, that's not it. It's not about Jesus's conception. It's about Mary's conception. Mary was conceived without sin in her mother's womb. Uh, so the language, yeah. So at the moment of conception, there was some debate, debate in the history of the church whether it was shortly after conception or if it was before conception. Uh, the main reason behind that debate was um, really to defend the notion that, that Mary needed a savior. The church resolved this debate saying, because the church always recognized Mary's holy. And they wanted to say she's without sin, but they, they weren't sure how to say that without at the same time saying that she didn't need a savior. So the church resolved this by pointing out that you can save somebody in two ways. You can save somebody after they fall into the pit, or you can save someone before they fall into the pit. In either case, though, you're saving the person. All right. So Mary was still saved by Jesus. She's not immaculately conceived because she's just a wonderful human being. She's immaculately conceived through the grace of Christ, one on the cross. But unlike us who are saved after we fall into the pit, Jesus chose in his wisdom to save Mary before she fell into the pit and then preserved her from falling into the pit throughout her life. Of course, with her free cooperation. All right. So that's the Immaculate Conception. The next one is the Assumption, which kind of follows upon the, the Immaculate Conception of Mary is without sin and never experienced the wounds of sin. Death is one of the wounds of sin, so Mary wouldn't experience death in the same way. So, at the end of her life, we believe that Mary, unlike us, was taken body and soul into heaven. She experienced already a foretaste of the resurrection that we'll all experience uh, when Jesus comes again. Did she die or did she not? There's debates. Um, the majority view, the most ancient view, is that Mary did die. Uh, and then she was raised from the dead, much like Jesus, um, and then taken into heaven. 
some people think, no, she didn't die. She was just assumed. All right, what this, what this shows about Jesus is clearly that what Jesus did actually accomplished something. Jesus actually accomplished something on the cross. How do we know? Because we see it in Mary. We see in Mary what Jesus intends for all of us. So it did something. Now, if you brought your Bible, you can open it up to Luke chapter 1. And this is the last thing uh, before we take a break. So Luke chapter 1. This is the, the account of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary to announce that she'll be the mother of the Savior. And there's a lot of good stuff in here. All right. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, or hail, O highly favored one, or full of grace. We'll talk about that in a second. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was, at what was said, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible for God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. All right, let's unpack this a little bit. So first, what does the angel call Mary? He calls her a different title. The title he calls her is full of grace. It says greetings full of grace. In Greek, it's kakaritomene. Uh, kakaritomene is it's a perfect passive participle. Uh, what that means is that it's something that took place in the past that still has its effects in the present. And so full of grace is not hail, you will be full of grace. It's not something that will take place in the future. It's not something taking place right now. It's something having that's already taken place. Hail you who've already been filled with grace. It's kind of a mouthful. Sounds better in Greek. Hail you who have already been filled with grace. Mary's fullness of grace is so significant that this is the title by which Gabriel greets her. This is the basis for the church's understanding of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, to say that Mary was immaculately conceived is, is the same thing in the church's mind as saying that she's full of grace. All right. So, hail, full of grace. And another interesting thing about this is it's very rare in Scripture for an angel to greet somebody like this. Like, usually they appear this terrifying appearance, and, and it's 
man who like throws himself down to the ground, but it's almost like the angels bowing to Mary, reading her as the one who's full of grace. And then, yep, that's it. That's it. We could talk a lot longer about this passage, uh, but that's the main point I wanted you to get. Oh no, there's one other, sorry, one other point and then we'll break. Uh, the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You who know your Old Testament really well recognize in this an allusion to the tabernacle and to the temple where God's presence dwelt. When, where the Shekinah, God's glory, came to dwell uh, in the tabernacle when the Israelites were wandering in the desert and came to dwell in the temple constructed by Solomon. So Mary is the new temple. Is that neat? I think that's neat. Can't tell by your facial expressions. Internally, you're rejoicing in the, in the beauty of this. All right. Go ahead and get your break, and then, then we'll figure out who's in what group when you come back.